0: For the message this week, it's amazing how God speaks to you through your life. And um, my brother in law, who I owned a business with for a long time, uh, ended up going in the emergency room and then in the ICU. And uh, you know, he's more than a brother in law, he's like my brother. And so we went up there a couple nights and we were up there on Friday night. And uh, my dad, <laughs> his brother, he had one brother, and uh, our families were really close. We did everything together. We went to vacation together. We went to church together. We did everything together. And my youngest cousin, uh, Veronica, is the same age as my sister. And uh, um, Friday night, we're in the hospital, and my daughter calls and says, hey, what happened to Mallory? That's my cousin Veronica's daughter. And uh, I said, I don't know. And what's, what's going on? So she goes, her friends are posting tributes to her like she's passed. And so... Um, it's sad, but we don't realize how fleeting life is. 24-year-old young girl suffering from type 1 diabetes, ended up having a seizure in the shower and, and died. And uh, it just reminded me, uh, one, how much we need God's presence in our life and how really we need to take life as serious as we can because the Bible says life is but a breath, Right. And it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And so if you can think of it, pray for my uh, family um, and uh, my wife's family and uh, all the things that are going on. And so as I, as I was getting into the message this week, it really, it really spoke to my heart. Because, you know, a lot of times we use words in the church that we really don't truly appreciate what they really mean, right? You know, the word holy and the word glory, you know. And we just don't really think about what they really mean. And it kind of struck me as I started to get into the material how important it is for us to really understand these words because we sing about them, we talk about them, but do we really understand them to the depth of our soul, right? To me, it, it, it was weighing on me and it started me thinking back in the 70s and 80s when you would talk about something that was weighty or you'd call it heavy, right? And you would say, yeah, that was heavy, profound. Today we say keeping it real or you know it's just something that really kind of makes us understand that what we're talking about really is important and so uh, to give you an example what I'm talking about if if you came in today and all of a sudden they announced you know uh, Billy Graham was going to come up here and preach there'd be a different feeling in this place one because it means it was resurrected but <laughs> but if this was prior to him passing and you said oh Billy Grant you there would, be, there would be you'd feel something a lot more than you feel about me being up here that presence because of who he is right and uh yeah <laughs> you know and so oh, we had uh and you just don't realize at the other day uh, somebody gave me this uh, blanket, and I went to pick it up, and it was a gravity blanket. Has anybody seen those or picked one of those up? It weighed like 20 pounds. It was like unbelievable, right? And they said it's supposed to give you a, a feeling of comfort. And this heavy blanket, when you lay underneath it, makes you feel different than when you got another blanket on there. And I started realizing that sometimes we don't realize how weighty, how heavy God's Word should be on our lives and on our minds, let me give you a couple passages here. Psalm twenty nine three says, "The voice of the Lord is over the waters; the God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters." Moses is talking to God in this passage. If you read the passage before you came today, these it's kind of a it's it's almost one of these passages that. It starts off with God saying, okay, you're going to go to the promised land, but I'm not going with you because I can't deal with you anymore. You're stiff-necked people, right? And Moses says, oh, wait a minute. No, you can't do that to me. If I have any favor in your eyes, and he goes in to say, show me your glory. Psalm 8 says, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. There's something we have to understand about the word glory and what it really means. In some sense, glory is sort of God's nickname, right? It's who who he is in his essence. Glory is intrinsic to God. Intrinsic means belonging to the essential nature or constitution of a thing. All of God is glorious, weighty, awesome, awe-inspiring. People may be glorious in a couple of things, but not everything, where God is glorious in every facet of who he is. We have people today that are tremendous athletes in football, basketball, baseball, but if they ever go from one sport to the other, they're not as good in the other sport. They're glorious in that one thing. Somebody might be a really good singer, but he's not an actor. Elvis was, comes to mind when it was like that, right? But see, God is glorious in everything. All his attributes, the manifestation of his being, is all glorious. He's self defined, he's self initiated, he's self expressed. You do not have to give God glory for him to be glorious, he is glorious in and of himself. He doesn't have to learn how to be glorious or develop into being glorious or practice to be glorious like we do as humans. He is glory. He is like he is light, like he is love. There's no room for improvement. His greatness, his glory is perfect. He doesn't have to go outside himself to help himself be glorious. He just is. Sort of like wet is to water, light is to the sun, or heat is to flame. It's intrinsic to that. God is glory by himself, for himself, and within himself. Let me think about that. He is glorious. It's intrinsic God's glory is how we describe the sum effect of all His attributes. Grace, truth, goodness, mercy, justice, knowledge, power, eternity. All that He is. Therefore, God of, uh, the glory of God is intrinsic. It is essential to God as light is to the sun, wet is to water, heat is to flame. It's who He is. It's amazing when you think about it because God is so awesome. His glory is so great. I don't know if we ever really comprehend it. Isaiah 48, 11 says, For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. Why? Because no one, no one is as glorious as God. No one in their intrinsic nature exudes glory. Only God. When you think about it, Isaiah 6 3, in that great passage where the two angels are talking and singing to one another, one says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then the other one says, The whole earth is filled with his, not holiness, his glory. The whole earth is filled with his glory. In contrast, when you think about it, glory is granted to us. It's called ascribed glory. Think about this. If you take a king and you take off his crown and his robes and his jewels and put him off his throne and put rags on him and throw him in the street with beggars for a little while, after a while, he's no different than they are. He's indistinguishable because his glory is ascribed it's not intrinsic to who he was that is the point when we think about it that god's glory is his essence it's not something we give him it's just who he is to me ascribed glory is that which it comes to men and it's ascribed because it doesn't last it fades The athlete's ability weakens. The model's beauty fades as she gets older. The actor forgets his lines. The scientist, his mind goes. Not true with God. His glory is forever. His glory is intrinsic to who he is. God's glory is intrinsic to... Therefore, it's not dependent on anything, so he is independent. He manifests his glory through the demonstration of his attributes in the world. He wants to display how awe-inspiring, how heavy, how weighty he is, so that his glory can be seen. That's the whole point. Psalm 19, 1-6 says, The heavens... And the earth declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes through the earth, through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chambers, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the ends of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. He's describing God's glory in creation. The heavens and earth declare the glory of God. Have you ever looked at that and think that's how God speaks to us? How God talks to us? Here's the problem. We get awed by the creation and no longer by the Creator. We give glory to what has been made rather than the one who made it. The Bible says that's idolatry. Man has spent its history worshiping man made things that have no value, no glory. I love this quote. It says, When nature, including the human being, is viewed as a result of mere chance or evolutionary determinism, our sense of responsibility wanes. In nature, the believer recognizes the wonderful result of God's creative activity, which we may use responsibly to satisfy our legitimate needs, material or otherwise, while respecting the intrinsic balance of creation. If this vision is lost, we end up either considering nature an untouchable taboo or, on the contrary, abusing it. In other words, we take nature and we make it what it shouldn't be. There is no mother nature. There's God-created nature. And so we either give it and glorify it or we do and act disrespectfully and pollute it and abuse it. We see both of those things at work in our culture. We have to see both of those things at work in undermining God's creation. Environmentalism doesn't acknowledge God. Protect the planet, yes, but why? Because God gave it and we should be good stewards. Not because of what we need to survive. 1 Timothy 6.16 says, Who alone has immortality, speaking of God, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to Him the honor and eternal dominion, Amen. God's given this picture, this illustration from the previous passage about how the sun comes out in the morning as his bridegroom and circles the, uh, you know, the the universe of we, as we know it and goes from end to end. And then talks about this unapproachable light. The only unapproachable light I know is the sun. There are times if you look directly at it, it'll burn your eyes out. Right? You won't be able to see. It's this unapproachable light. It's, a, it's, a, it's an object that's, that's um, uh, self generating heated plasma that's about 83 million miles in circumference. You can put 185 hertz in the sun. It's 93 million miles away, yet we feel its presence on our planet. Isn't that awesome? And if you actually wanted to go to the sun, you've got on a plane traveling at 600 miles an hour. Uh, for 24 hours a day, it would take you about 18 years to get there. But here's the thing. Somewhere between Venus and probably Mercury, maybe a little after Mercury, you would cease to exist because you would just burn up. It would consume you because it's unapproachable light. And in this chapter in Exodus, that's what was happening with the people. God told them a few chapters before, don't let them come to the mountain or else they will be consumed. Because God, in essence, is an unapproachable light. We can't see him in his full glory. We can't even take it. He hid Moses in the cliff so he wouldn't even see. I'll let you see my back. You can't see my face, otherwise you would die. I don't know if we comprehend how glorious God is. The Bible says God is light in 1 John 1.5, right? God is light. And in there is no darkness. It's interesting because in Revelation it says that the city, the heaven, will have, have no need of the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. In other words, when we get to heaven, there will be no other light than Jesus Christ. He will be the light, for God is light. An unapproachable light, which is why we need new bodies when we get to heaven, because these old things wouldn't be, would be consumed. In order to stand in the presence of God in His unapproachable light, we need new bodies just to be in His presence. It's kind of a cool thing. I'd like to get rid of this body. I don't know about you. But here's the thing we don't recognize. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. See, the revelations of God's glory in human life is Jesus, who we call the light of the world. Do you remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus, in the midst of his ministry, takes three of his disciples up this mountain. And when he gets up there, all of a sudden, they're face-to-face with Moses, who represented the law, Elijah, that represented the the prophets, and it says that Jesus turned into this incredible light so that the apostles had to fall down on their face because it was just so overwhelming. They saw his glory in its fullest. And they couldn't even handle it. 2 Corinthians says this. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. i are going to think about that for a minute. Blinded them from what? From seeing the full glory of God. It's incredible sometimes. I remember when I was a kid and I'd go to the show, we'd have a matinee that everybody used to get these tickets for in the summertime, and you'd go to the show. And when you come out of the show to be in that dark theater, you would hit by that light and you go, Oh, my gosh, I can't even handle it. you go back inside for a while until your eyes acclimated, right? And I think that's all of us for Christians sometimes. We all of a sudden get a glimpse of God's glory about what he's doing and who he is and our understanding under sermon changes. And sometimes we go, Oh, my gosh, I can't handle that. Instead of embracing it for what it is. And who he is. So in this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. you get that? The light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, to keep them from seeing the glory, that which is God, who is the image of God. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why the gospel is so important. That's why we talk about sin and moving our faith forward because people are living in darkness and they don't see the glory, the light of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us because glory is who God is. It is what He is and it's what we're not. See, the more you know Christ, the more glory you will experience. The closer you draw to Him, the more powerful He becomes in your life. When you have and operate with God's glory on the inside, what happens on the outside doesn't matter, and it won't affect you. It won't define you. Because God's at work. And like the sun that reflects off the moon and we see it at night to know the sun's still there, when darkness or darkness comes into our life, God's light still shines and we know He's there. And we can trust Him with what He's going to do or what He is doing in our lives to know that His work will bring glory to His name and good to our own lives. So whether the clouds come in, we know the sun's still there because we feel it's he. When the rain's falling down and it feels cold, we know the sun's still there because we feel its heat. When those clouds part, isn't that awesome? When the storm breaks and those clouds part and that sun breaks through, it's like glory. Think about this. Every morning you wake up and that sun's shining. It's God's way of saying, welcome to my glory. Do you think that way? Do you think how when I see nature and I see the beauty of snow, it's beautiful and the beauty of warmth and the beauty of green and the beauty of all there is do I think and praise God for who he is Isaiah says that that's what we were created to do and created for Isaiah 43 says, Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I have formed and made. In other words, we were made for God's glory, to be a reflection of his glory, not to be his glory, to be a reflection of his glory here on earth. That's what we are made for. That's why we're here. God put mankind here, created in His image a mirror to reflect back His glory to Him. So here's the point. Any man, woman, or child that is not living for the glory of God does not know why they are here. And let me tell you something. Man has developed a secular, self-centered purposes to sort of give you a purpose outside what God's intended purpose was to glorify yourself and not to give glory to your creator and all these different things in life but you know what those people that do all those things they don't know why they're here because we all know that God says we are here to give him glory to be a reflection of his glory in the world that's why Paul describes sin as an interruption to God's glory have you ever thought about that Sin detracts from God's glory. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. Sin disrupts God's glory in our lives so that we don't want to reflect His glory to the world around us. And that's why they see sin, not God's glory. It's a disruption. We were created, I'm here hear this. We were created as glory advertisements of God's glory in the world. We are walking advertisements of God's glory in the world, His intrinsic glory as it reflects back to Him through us. Have you ever thought of yourself that way? I'm a walking advertisement for God's glory. Kind of changes how you look at things, right? It might change even how you walk. I, I remember when I was uh, we watched TV every once in a while. When it was bad weather out, I would say we interrupt this uh, regularly scheduled program for an emergency broadcasting system. We should probably have a thing like that that we interrupt this glory transmission because you're sinning, right? but it's wonderful cuz God says he is faithful and just to forgive those, right, who ask. It's interesting when you think about God's glory in and of itself. 1 Corinthians 10:31 says, "So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, what does it say? Do it all for the glory of God." Think about it, drinking, eating, it's routine. It's instinctive. It's really mundane. How do I drink to the glory of God? Not like that. Here's how we do it. Here's what he's saying. We don't give it much thought, and we should. I can't drink, I can't eat, if it wasn't for God. I think that's part of the problem we have when we really look at God and say, why does he want this glory? Is he full of himself? Does he need all this stuff? Why, do, why does it make a difference to him? I think partly is it because we underappreciate the consistency of God. Every day we wake up and we don't have to worry about there being enough oxygen. We don't have to wor- wor- get up and worry about the water I mean, the world being at the right temperature for us to survive, for the rotation of the planet to be just the way it is, to continue to make the human uh, ability to live exist. We don't have to worry about all those things, because God is consistent. God has designed everything for his glory, including our existence. And we take it for granted all the time. And he's saying you shouldn't, we shouldn't. To me, if we really got a grasp of who God is, and got enough to know, it would shape our every decision that we make. It's what it's saying there. If you really understood God's glory and your purpose here, it would change the way you make decisions and the decisions you make because it would change the way you think. And when you change the way you think, you change the way you act. Moses said, show me your glory. He'd already seen it. A few messages ago, we talked about when God said to them, when he was talking about how I took you out of Egypt on eagle's wings, right? He reminded them what I did to Pharaoh, reminded them what I did in Egypt. He came in. I mean, Moses saw him even before what he did in Egypt, right? He saw him with the burning bush. God's glory in a bush that wasn't consumed. And he spoke to him. Then he saw the plagues. Then he saw the Red Sea. And they get all the way here to this right in front of uh, Mount Sinai. And he's there talking to them. And he's already tired of them. Because what? They forgot Moses wanted to see more. He didn't forget. He wanted to see more. He figured, God's so glorious, show me more. Because he knew he needed it. The house of Jacob, it was called. Forgot it. Took it for granted. The reason why we don't want to go further and know more is that we have seen enough in the past that we forgot what we've seen. It's amazing how many times God has revealed himself to us and his power has resonated in our life through different situations. And the next time we go through something differently, we're saying, why God? Why me? Versus, okay, God, what do you want to do here with me? How do I going to use this situation? Or how are you going to use this situation to bring glory to yourself through my life, through these circumstances? How do you do that? When you have seen him, you realize there's so much more than we can even think or imagine, Scripture says. The reason why we don't want to go further is because, you know what, we don't want more sometimes. Here's the thing I've realized. God will only show you as much of his glory as you want to see. No more. He only feeds hungry people. The reason why people don't see his glory is because they're not interested. Moses wanted more, but he couldn't see his face because it would kill him. The Bible says God uses this anamorphic language, which is taking something spiritual and bringing it into human terms. And he describes the truth in a human way that says, I'm going to pass by you, and you're going to see my back. It's cool because he says he hides him in a cliff, right? And he says, I'm going to put my hand in front of you, protecting him from God's glory, and I'm going to pass by, and then when I pass by... I'm going to pull it away and you're going to reveal and you're going to see my back. It's sort of like when you go out in the sky and you see the fumes from a plane, but you can't see the plane. It's already been there. You know it was there because you saw the smoke, the jet stream, right? You can say, oh, a plane just flew by. You know that. It's kind of that same concept. God was going to do a flyby and Moses was going to get a breath of his fumes. It's interesting. Do you want to see more God's glory? I think when you think about it, when Moses, I, I can see this happening. Moses is in this rock. He's, he's blinded until God reveals himself for him. And all of a sudden, he's face to face with the glory of God. You know, what? when you're in the glory of God and you're in the presence of God, it changes you. It helps you to understand what you couldn't understand, to see what you couldn't see, to hear what you never heard before in such a way that transformed me. I get the opinion that right after this, Moses starts writing and starts saying, in the beginning, God created heavens and earth, and the earth was without void, falling in darkness over the face of the deep. Because he just got filled with God. And when you're filled with God, guess what it's going to do? It's going to change who you are. Because how you think about him When God shows up His glory and you see it like you haven't seen before, you're going to say, Lord, I want more. The problem is we don't crave God's glory. The problem is we're caught up in the world and the way the world thinks. I remember when I was a kid and there'd be snacks, and if we were eating a snack, my mom would come in and say, that's going to spoil your dinner, right? How many heard that when you are a kid? It's going to spoil your dinner. I think sometimes we feed on the junk of the world and it just spoils what God has for us. It spoils the feast of the word that we should all be diving into because we're sucked into the corrupt thinking of the world. We are filled up with the junk food that the world offers so that when it comes to the glory of God, we're not hungry anymore. Moses was hungry. He wanted to see more. I ask you today, are you hungry for God's glory in your life, in your understanding? It's interesting because it said God hid Moses in the cleft and blinded him with his hand so he couldn't see anything. But that wasn't the end of Moses. As we get to the end of the story, it's interesting because God hid Moses' body after he died so nobody could find it, right? A bunch of reasons. One, because people who found it, they'd worship it, right? Just like anything else. We tend to gravitate to that which is seen and known. But it's interesting, when I talked about the Mount configura- and Transfiguration in Matthew 17, Moses is back. And guess what? Moses is looking right at Jesus face to face. You know why? Because Moses had a new body. If he was in the old body, it would have been burned up, right? To see the full glory of God manifested in the flesh. Moses, Elijah, new bodies, all of a sudden, look at that, and the apostles, they can't do anything but fall on their face and hide their eyes. Isn't it interesting when we see what heaven's going to be like? We're going to be in the glory of God, and he's going to heat it and warm it and give it light for all of us, for all eternity. See, here's the issue. God is holy because we know the word is, means separate, right? He's holy because there's no one like him. He is the creator. He's not the creation. He's outside of time, space, and matter. He is separate. No one can be like him in any way, shape, or form, which is why he's holy. He's separated from all creation. We should see him that way. And because we see him that way, we should understand the glory that exudes from his holiness is what we should be talking about and living for. Heaven is a place where God's glory is permanently on display. Psalm 29, 1 and 2, it says Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness, not because He needs it, because He enjoys His creation. Isn't it natural to enjoy glory, do Your name? You score that touchdown and the crowd's going crazy. Isn't it justified that that individual should enjoy the glory that comes from what he just did? Or the musician from the great song that they do, shouldn't he be able to enjoy the glory that comes from that? Or the one who was the hero in the war and everybody give him accolades for his heroic effort. Shouldn't he be able to enjoy that glory? And here's what he's saying is that we should ascribe glory to God's name because he enjoys his creation and he deserves it for what he's done when you are unlimitedly glorious, worship should not be a tedious task. You just give Him glory because the glory is due His name. You don't come here to hear the worship team. You don't come here to hear me preach, or Jason preach, or anybody else for that matter. You come for an audience of one. You should come to sing because... God is glorious, and we want to ascribe Him glory. You should listen to the message, not because of the wisdom of the individual, but the power of the Word as it's communicated through God's Spirit into your minds. That which you do is say, God, glory, you spoke to me. If He could speak through a donkey, He could speak through me and Jason, trust me, and bring Himself glory through man-made attempts to show what it is. See, we come on Sundays because it's not about you or me. It's about Him. It changes the way you think about what we do and why we should be here. Stop to think about how many things you put in front of God to give Him glory by coming on Sunday and worshiping Him and hearing what He's got for you. How many things you put in front of fellowshipping in a small group and doing life with people who help you to grow in your knowledge and understanding of who God is? Or serving Him as a benefit of all that He's done in service to you? When you realize it's not about us and it's about Him, it should change the way we sing and we listen and we participate and we serve. because he's glorious. Think about it. When Jesus was born and they're announcing it to the world, what did the angels sing? Glory to God in the highest. And then peace on earth comes in goodwill, right? Because God's glory is made manifest in Jesus. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. I often wonder how ungrateful I am at times for what God has done to just sustain me. Think about the, the two stories in Scripture that really bring this home to me is the, when Jesus healed the ten leopards, right? He healed all ten of them. And he said, now go show yourself to the, to the Pharisees and so present yourself at the temple. And they all took off walking and one, one of the ten in the midst of walking to the temple to show himself to be declared clean, decides he's got to turn around and go back and give God glory. Not just accept the blessing, but to go back and give glory to the one who blessed. How often do we forget? We think at times when we put our money in the offering plate, we're doing God a favor. He don't need our money. That's how we give him glory, for we know everything is his. We need to ascribe glory to his name. You either do that by magnifying. The only way you can get, make something bigger than it is is you either magnify it, which is cool. It doesn't change its size. It just magnifies and makes it look better, bigger. And we do that in terms of how we praise him. But the really way to do that is to get closer to the object, Right? I think i've said this before when you see a plane flying over it looks kind of small but you get on the airport standing right next to it it's like wow see the way you ascribe glory to god's name is to draw closer to him and really realize how glorious he is even in the midst of difficulty in your life god will get glory from his creation because that's why we were created Romans 1, 21 and 23. So for all they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him because they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creepy things. And what happened is God brought judgment for that because they wouldn't give Him glory for who He is. If you read Jeremiah 13 and Revelation 14, it's the same thing. They didn't give God glory, and it always brought judgment. Exodus fourteen seventy. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. I will get glory over Pharaoh. Isn't it interesting? He said, I will get glory over Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the one that said to Moses, who is this God that I should recognize him? Right? He wasn't about to give God glory, so God took him and hardened his heart to a place where he would do things he never thought he would do, he would give up things he never thought he would give up, and he would pay a price that he never thought he would have to pay. And it's through his enragement he followed the nation of Israel, even though he saw all that God did right into the sea and lost his whole army. When we don't give God glory to his name, it's not good. Because that's why we were created. I'm going to close with this. When I was a kid growing up, uh, we used to go camping all the time. And we'd go camping. They made these things that were just called, they were called glow sticks, right? And then later on, they had these Frisbees and footballs that were glow in the dark. How many remember the glow in the dark stuff, right? And when you'd take it out and you'd play with it, after a while, the light would fade. And you'd have to take that football and you'd have to take that Frisbee and you'd have to bring it back and put it under a source of light for a while, get something to eat, you know, and then... When it got bright enough, take it back out, and you can play with it in the middle of the night darkness, right? See, that's how it is with us. The world does with, the world its influence on our lives is getting greater and greater. And what does it do? It seeks to fade the glory of God in our lives. And if we don't keep coming back every week and into the Word every day to get re-energized, to get relit, so to speak, so that we can walk out understanding the power of God and the probation of the Word of God in our lives, guess what? We're going to grow dim just like the world is. We'll appear no different than the world because there will be no light. Because we're not spending time basking in the glory of God and ascribing glory to His name. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, when we stay in the light and we stay in the glory of God, we move from glory to glory. We move from the glory that God has in this world today to the glory in His presence in heaven forever. It's the promise to the believers. And it says we have unveiled faces. In other words, when we're doing that, we don't have to be masked anymore. We can see God for who He is and understand the power and the privilege from being in His presence. It's amazing. Psalm fifteen, one fifteen one says, Not to us, O Lord, but to your name. Give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. 113 2 and 3 says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. We sing that. From this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Lord, the Lord is high above all nations. His glory above the heavens. In other words, it can't ever be really comprehended. Who is like the Lord our God? Nobody and nothing. We have to understand that grace is but glory begun. And glory is but grace begun perfected so i don't know what you came in here today and what you were thinking about when you came in here today when's the last time you really contemplated god's glory but i gotta tell you it consumed me this week in spite of all the things that were going on all i could think about is god's glory and how man have i underappreciated god's glory in my life i wonder if the same is true for you maybe not or maybe so But I want to ask you, when you were singing earlier, were you singing to give God glory or were you just singing because that's what we do? I don't know. I wonder sometimes. I wonder sometimes if we just get, you know, complacent and we don't really think of how holy God is and how glorious God is. Because if we did we would be different, we would be changed in a moment.